Aloha kako e na makamaka ho'olohe mau ya kaleo o kauluau. Wahia kahiko he manu maka ala alava kapueo. O na manu o kiahiahi ka kako kumuhana walaau i la. As in the olelo no eau that Lei just shared, pueo, our native owls, are known for their eyes that glance here and there, looking for their prey. Today we'll be visiting with the manu ahiahi, those flying beings often associated with the evening. Belina Mai. Welcome to Kaleo Kauluau. Aloha, Eju. Are you ready for another visit with our Manu friends, Lei? Yes, I am. Today we have two human guests with us to share their knowledge of some very special Manu, their home places, special qualities, and songs. Drew, can you begin the introductions? Hiki no. Kaleheana Apohaku Stormcrow was born in Inglewood, Colorado, and raised in Elliott, Maine, and Ko'olau Poko on Oahu. Kaleheana's Makuakane is from Eva Beach, their tutu is from Kapahulu, and before that, their ancestry stems from Maui, Kohala, Konahema, and further back in time, from Waipio Valley. After high school, Kaleheana moved to the Bay Area, where they became a master hairstylist, apprentice falconer, and yoga practitioner, and then moved to Portland, Oregon. After finishing their BS in Fisheries and Wildlife Sciences at Oregon State, Calais started asking their ancestors for a path to come home. After this, the recurring dreams that they had about owls since childhood became more consistent and intense, and soon after, they received an offer to study Pueo at UH Manoa. Calais is writing their thesis on indigenous knowledge about Pueo from Nupepa and Pueo detectability in relation to moon phase. They now live in Kapueuhi, Puna, Hawaii. Kale took the first level of Halaohia and is a student of Olihonua and Hula Aiha'a in Uluka'ohia with Kekuhi Kieli'i Kanaka'ole, as well as learning from Kale Nu'uhiva in Kanainai together. They've taken Papakumakabalu workshops and Panana collective training with Kilo Malama. Kalehiana is passionate about returning our native ecosystems to abundance and reviving relationships to our more than human relatives. Mahalo, Ju. Our other mea for this Nighttime Friends episode is Rachel Kingsley, who was born and raised in the Midwest portion of the continental United States. She grew up being a nature lover and knew she wanted to work with animals when she grew up. Rachel earned a BS in wildlife ecology from the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point. Rachel started her career working in zoos, caring for a variety of animals, but found her way to specialize in caring for bird species. Her professional journey brought her to Hawaii Island as an intern at the Keoho Bird Conservation Center, where she began to learn about the unique avifauna of Hawaii. Rachel was hired on as a staff member for KBCC and worked for almost 10 years raising, caring for, and participating in the release and reintroduction efforts of native birds, including Puaiohi, Palila, Kivikiu, Akikiki, Akeke'e, and the Alala before joining the Alala Project as the Education and Outreach Associate in 2017. Rachel continues to work with the Alala Project and in 2020 joined the team at the Maui Forest Bird Recovery Project. She enjoys connecting audiences to the native forests and Manu friends that make Hawaii so unique and special. Rachel currently resides in Kaumana Hilo and is a Haumana at Halau Ohia Hawaii Stewardship Training with Kekuhi Keali'i Kanaka'ole. Mahalo Le for that introduction. And now let's go over to our special guests. 
Aloha. Today we have Kaleheana. Aloha. And Rachel. Aloha. We are super excited to have you both here with us today in our recording studio. We um, are happy to have our listening audience learn more about these special manu that you folks are going to speak about. Um, maybe we might call them manuahiahi. Or will we? <laughs> or can we? <laughs> or are they? <laughs> yeah. What is ahiahi? Ahiahi is something that re- is, is a term that refers to the evening. Yes, we're going to be speaking about our nighttime friends today. We'll start off with pueo, because they're the best. I am biased. Um, pueo are generally associated with daytime, and while they can be active diurnally or during the day, um, in Mo'olelo, they usually show up in the ahiahi, in the early kakahiaka, like really super early morning, and mostly at night, actually. So um, there's been a few studies on short-eared owls worldwide that have showed that they're more active nocturnally, but for some reason, short-eared owls globally are still considered a diurnal species. So um, what is diurnal? Just diurnal jump in there. in the daytime. There you go. Crepuscular is in the evening and morning. <laughs> Kalehiana, what is a pueo exactly? So pueo are our native Hawaiian short-eared owl. Um, They're endemic to the islands, and they're about, like, 14-ish inches tall. They're not very big. They have, I think, about, like, a four-foot wingspan. Um, Females are bigger than males. They're kind of buffy and brown, and they have these beautiful golden eyes. And then we have barn owls, which are not pueo, although people sometimes think that they are. Barn owls are larger. They're white. Um, and their eyes are like black. So if you get to see their eyes, you like you really can know if it's a pueo or a barn owl just by looking at their eyes. But barn owls also have a super cute little heart-shaped face. Hmm. Yes. Is there a difference barn between owls their calls? are like really screechy and it sounds almost haunting. Okay. And then pueo are like, I'll just do it. Pueo are like, kiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiiii
they're found in every habitat. And so that makes them actually super challenging to study. Pueo can actually fly between the islands. We did some um, some GPS transmitter studies recently, and there was one of the Pueo from Lualuale, I believe, went wow. either to Kauai for a few days or Molokai. Oh, wow. And there's actually examples of that in Mo'olelo as well. So like the, the story of Kapo'i, all the Pueo <laughs> from all the islands kind of gather um, in in different spots on Oahu. And uh, there's a separate mo'olelo of kopo'i from Maui where they all gather and then go to Wailuku and slaughter all of the kanaka and ali'i. And that's why it's called Wailuku. Hmm. Um, yeah, so they can undertake huge movements. Historically, they were super abundant. Like in the time of Hi'iaka'i Kapolio Pele, there was no place without a pueo, it says in that mo'olelo. So from Kauai to Hawaii, Every place had pueo. And by the early um, 20th century, because of sugarcane production, their um, breeding habitat had been materially diminished. Mm. And so there was a decline beginning. And the most abundant places where I've seen them are up at Ko'ohe Game Management Area and over on Waikiki Road. And we do surveys in the evening up at Ko'ohe, where I see them the most, they're in that like beautiful dryland forest. There's mamane everywhere. There's a few iliahi up there. But yeah, it's really beautiful up there. You can see the mauna. The mauna is like right there. During the summer, it's like very cloudy, like you're in the clouds up there. But other times of year, it's, you know, just beautiful blue skies. Um, unfortunately, sometimes we can hear them bombing at Pohakuloa when we're there, which is always really heartbreaking. Um, but it's it's just such a special, that, that dryland forest is such a special habitat because there's not very much dryland forest left in Hawaii. But they do predator control up there. And pueo are ground nesting birds. They just dig like a really simple scrape in the ground and then line it with grass and feathers and they lay their eggs just right there on the ground. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And then the chicks will, they disperse really like early from the nest, which we think might be a predator avoidance strategy so that the chicks aren't all in one place. But I think it's really interesting that in areas where they're doing active predator control, there seems to be more pueo. But yeah, we don't know that much about pueo ecologically. Like, there is no statewide population estimate, despite their cultural importance. We have like no idea how many pueo there are. They're endangered on Oahu due to habitat loss. Um, and they were recently listed as a species of concern by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So hopefully we'll be able to use some of the field methods that I've been using to be able to um, find pueo in the forest because it's a lot easier to find pueo if it's just open and you can stand there with binoculars and look for them. But if you're in the forest, you got to get real lucky to see one. So I've been using audio broadcast calls to try to like flush them or get them to announce themselves in the forest. So and it seems to be working. So that's like exciting. Sort of Pueo could have been a whole episode on its own, I think. But um, Pueo have association also with Kapo Ula Kina'u, who is a famous sorcery goddess um, capable of taking as well as restoring life. And Pueo have the ability, Pueo Amakua specifically, have the ability to restore life. There's a 
ton, I can't think of the exact number, but there's a bunch of mo'olelo where pueo come and restore life. Like the most famous one is uh, kahalo puna in Manoa. But there's there's a mo'olelo that I found that's like talking about this woman who's thrown into a pile of corpses and a pueo comes and slaps her in the face with his wings and like restores her life. And then she's like, why am I in this pile of corpses? And that, yeah, there's just various examples of that across Mo'olelo. So that's one of their superpowers. Another superpower that I found for them is that they're considered all-seeing because they can see at night. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything. Draws you to I've, them, I've been having dreams about Pueo since I was a kiki. They'll guide me. That's another thing they do, actually, is they guide people. So when people are lost, a Pueo will come and be like, hey... And it'll like guide them to wherever they need to go. Um, but yeah, so Pueo have been showing up in my dreams my whole life, basically. And I was living on the continent a few years ago and I was, I've really wanted to come home. And then I started dreaming about Pueo again. And then I, I got hooked up with Melissa Price, who's my PI. And we were supposed to just have a conversation because I wanted to move home. And she's like, oh, I have funding for somebody to study, um, you know, cultural importance of Pueo. And I was like, what? That sounds amazing. And so it just kind of like landed in my lap, this Pueo job. And so or it not. just was like, <laughs> or did it? <laughs> so it just kind of was like a whole Ilona that, you know, I'm it's the right time and that I'm welcome <laughs> That's to come beautiful. Home. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean I, I could talk about Pueo for literally another hour. So oh, Rachel's gonna talk about Alala now. All right. So, yeah, our Alala friends are also known as the Hawaiian Crow. Um, they are pretty much an all-black bird. If you're familiar with other crows or ravens, members of the corvid family. But our Alala are a little bit different. So they're about 18 inches from the tip of their beak to the end of their tail. They have about a foot and a half to two foot wingspan. Um, they're one of the largest forest birds that are out, native forest birds that are out in our um, Hawaiian forests. But they are pretty much all black if you see them up, uh, unless you see them up close. Um, those feathers in, in certain light conditions, they can almost look brown or sometimes even bluish tint. But from a distance, you see them, they're an all black bird from the tip of their beak all the way down to their toenails. They are black. Um, something kind of fun. The young birds, well, are they, the young hatch out and they actually have bright baby blue eyes and pink on the inside of their mouth and around the gape or the very edge of the beak where it attaches next to the feathers. And those are kind of distinguishing marks of a juvenile or young alala. And as they hit about one year old, all of that turns to black and their eyes turn to brown. So you can tell the difference between a juvenile and an adult, but you can't necessarily tell the difference between male and female because they're very hard to distinguish just by looking at them. Um, so uh, that's a little bit about our Alala friends, what they look like. Many people think, oh, it's a big black bird. They're, they've got to be associated with nighttime because that that dark color, that unknown um, or, yeah, that representation of the Poe. But on actual, these birds are mostly asleep during the, the night. <laughs> so uh, they'll go up and they'll roost in the trees um, and mostly ohia or koa trees. And we do know by studying these birds that every so often when the moon gets more full, 
they'll actually wake up and start making more calls during the more full moons. Um, but for the most part, the dark nights, these birds are going to be pretty quiet and actually asleep. So they're in the nighttime friends, but they're one of those, or are they associated with the night? Um, just because they're black color um, doesn't necessarily mean they're nighttime bird. Um, they have kind of a sad story. In the 1800s, we know that there were plentiful alalaw throughout their historic range, which was found from North Kona all the way through the Kau districts on Hawaii Island. Um, we knew that there was plentiful alalaw. There's stories of being hundreds of them at a time, but unfortunately, the, the species started to really disappear and by 1976, there was only 76 alala known throughout that historic range. By 1992, there was only 13. And unfortunately, the last pair went extinct in the wild in 2002. Um, so unfortunately, we're talking about a bird that is no longer flying out in our forests. Um, before they completely disappeared, scientists and researchers got together and brought a handful of these birds into a conservation breeding program, which is why we still have them today. Um, so there's groups working really hard to try to kind of reverse this story and change the outcome um, and get these birds back out into the forest. Um, but unfortunately, they're no longer with us um, out in the forest being their bird selves. Um, through their historic range, we know that they would utilize many different vow or levels. Uh, they would be flying from about 1,000 feet in elevation all the way up to 8,000 feet in elevation. And so they would kind of go up and down this elevational gradient, up and down the Mauna, depending on the seasons. And why that's kind of important is, unlike other corvid species, these birds are really um, tied to the fruits of the forest. So they're an omnivore. They'll eat a little bit of everything. Um, but they really depend heavily on our native fruits, such as olapa or pilo or hoava is a really close relationship with the alala. And as those different fruits are coming into season, they kind of follow them up and down the different elevational gradient. Um, so that kind of leans into why they're super important for our forests is they are a seed disperser for many of those different native plants. Um, and yeah, that kind of help build that ecological um, diversity in the forest. So for me, my connection with Alala, I, I originally grew up on the continent and I knew I wanted to work with animals in some regard. Um, and I kind of bounced from job to job. And then I, I, I stumbled out to Hawaii and was lucky to have an internship um, at the Keahoe Bird Conservation Center, which is one of the conservation breeding centers with these birds. And at first I was kind of like, oh, they're just a big black bird. Like they're just another crow, which, you know, I grew up seeing crows on, on the continent. But the more you get to interact with the alala, you realize how special they are. And um, they're very intelligent birds. They can figure out puzzles. They can figure out how to use tools if they need to. Um, but you know, you're you're always trying to have to kind of think one step ahead with the alala. Like when, um, one of my favorite stories is I was trying to get a weight on one of the birds to make sure that she was healthy. And her name was Lilinoy. And she was very, very intelligent. And yeah, always kind of one step ahead of you. And so I was trying to get a weight. I put a scale in her enclosure and tied her favorite snack to it. 
thinking, oh, I'll just, you know, no big deal. She'll just hop on the scale. And I went out the door and around a curtain so that she couldn't see me anymore. And I was watching the, the readout of the scale and it would move up and down, up and down. And then it stopped. And I was like, well, what is she doing? And then I looked up and she had followed the cord <laughs> out the door and was peering back at me through the crack of the curtain. Like, no, what are you doing out there? She, she wasn't going to, you know, fall, take the bait or fall for it. Like, she just totally blew my game on that one. Um, but yeah, so the, all along are very intelligent, very smart, um, very awesome species to work with. <laughs> I think many of us remember Illinois. Actually, we yeah. personally met her at the in the aviary, at the yeah. bird conservation yeah, facility. Yeah, if you've that ever been up about. to the Cuyahoga Bird Conservation Center, she was in the education aviary for quite a while, and so she was always like to greet the guests and stuff. And she was a good one in there. So why are they called Alala? Do you... oh, that's a great. So um, the the name Alala, if you're to look it up in the dictionary, it refers to a few different things mostly associated with their voice. And they have a very loud, distinct voice. Um, so one of the definitions of alala is like the cry of a child or to wail. Um, they, especially the young birds, they have kind of this crying, begging kind of sound, like an overtired toddler sound. <laughs> um, another definition for the term alala is the person that would be calling out the commands of the chief during battles. Um, so that big, loud, projected voice. And then the other one is a style of a chant. And so it kind of has this like up and down kind of wailing kind of sound um, as a style of chanting. Mahalo for sharing all of that, Rachel. The, the, those are amazing majestic birds i think so many of us have a, an, an amazing appreciation for them just as with the pueo as well but um do you i've i understand that there have been some attempts to release alala right as part of reintroducing them into the wild do you mind sharing a little bit about that and maybe the places where this has happened sure so there was a couple of releases that were happening or attempted in the late 1990s um, those releases were focused in the South Kona district um, on the McCandless Ranch because that's where the last stronghold of the wild population was still. Um, so even though it was a ranching area, the forest wasn't the greatest, there were still wild birds there that we were hoping that the release birds could kind of connect with. Unfortunately, that release effort um, didn't go so great. And so those birds were ultimately gathered and brought back into the conservation breeding facilities. Um, more recently, we had been trying to release birds between 2016 to 2020, and those releases were taking place in Putumaka'ala Natural Area Reserve, um, which is kind of between Mountain View and Hilo and up on the slopes of Mauna Loa. And that forest is a really special important place because it is a very well um, protected native forest. And so with the Alala, they utilize kind of every single layer of a native forest. So from the canopy of the ohia and the koa trees all the way down through all those fruiting trees and then the, the bottom kind of mossy layers and stuff too. So all of those layers are really important because they nest in the canopy. They utilize the fruit in the mid layers and then in order to avoid their predator, which is the EO, 
they'll drop down into that kind of dark, dense understory and hide. Um, so their aerial predator would be going over and they wouldn't see that dark bird hiding in the darker kind of understory. Um, so that was one of the reasons why we were releasing within Pumakaala, um, because it's a very well protected uh, forest that's been managed for quite a few years, but has all those really good layers. There's a lot of work going into to helping these birds and bringing them back and restoring the population. And so we're hoping that we can keep working um, on bringing these birds back because they are such an important part of our ecosystem and the culture, um, the language, all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, with Alala, we're, we're not done. We're not done writing their story. Um, so yeah, we're hoping to kind of bring that back and change for the next chapter. Who our group is, um, myself and Kalehiana and the others that will be sharing um, about Manus, we are a part of this group of bird nerds or bird lovers that have come together called Ahui Manu, or that's what we're calling ourselves. Um, and we've created this Oli to kind of help share a little bit more information about the birds. And we really want to be sharing the knowledge that's out there, connecting the conservationists or the, the workers that are, are caring for these bird species with those that might not be as familiar with the birds. And so we're creating these connections through this Oli um, of like the bird, it's kind of the kumulipo style. So a bird paired with a plant person and then also like an ocean person as well. Um, so to share the verse for the alala, we have uh, the first one that we mentioned is me'e, the constellation up in the heavens. And me'e is also the name or the, the constellation name that is named me'e is also known as Corvus the crow. Um, so we made that connection. And then we also referenced the place name, the Alala Keiki, which is the channel between Kaho'olawe or Kanaloa and Maui. Um, and then for the ocean person that we've connected with uh, the Alala, it's the A'ama crab. And so like the A'ama, they utilize different spaces on the rocks as the tides are coming and going. And so kind of moving up that rock elevational gradient, I kind of pictured that as also how the, the Alala would be using the elevational gradient in, of the forest on the Mauna. Um, and then the plant person is the Ieie, which is also a historical food source for the Alala. And so kind of making those connections of where they have been in the past and who the food that they would be eating is. Um, and for the Pueo, we have connected Pueo to Kalehua Pueo, which is an Inoa Aina over by the Luapele over on um, Kilauea. It's um, Makai side. And then Kaneika Pahua, who I mentioned before. Um, and then we mentioned that they are the Almakua Okalehulehu of, of many. Um, and then they got paired with the O'opu living in the sea. Um, Pueo and O'opu are both Kinolau of Mo'oakua. And O'opu shows up in, I think, like three or four different Mo'olelo with Pueo, um, including a Kupua who can turn into a Pueo and an O'opu. And then they got paired with the Ohia in the uplands, which I mentioned before the relationship between Pueo and Ohia. 
Um, Pueo also has relationships to a bunch of other Akua Kane in the form of Kaneika Pahua, Ku in the form of Ku Kawakahi. Um, she is also um, a Kinolao of Lilinoi who adorns Poliahu's hair. She is the mother and the daughter of, um, of Hina. And I'm, I'm just saying she, it's just Pueo. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, so through Hina, there's also relationship to Uli and to Lono. Mahalo nui. So we're going to share a little bit of information about another nighttime friend, which is the Ope'ape'a or the Hawaiian hoary bat. You're probably thinking, but Ope'ape'a are mammals. Um, but in the Hawaiian mind, Ope'ape'a are manu. And so they're they're one of our Manu friends and they are nocturnal. Um, they, they do come out a little earlier in the evening sometimes. So you can see them flying around catching insects. Um, but they, like the alala, use an elevational gradient um, that corresponds to seasonal timing. So they roost um, down in the lowlands in Puhala or... Um, pandanus trees. I believe they raise their keiki there and then um, they eat a bunch of different insects. They eat like moths and beetles, pretty much anything that's flying around in the sky, they'll eat it if it's an insect. Um, unlike other bats, like on the continent, you can build bat boxes. You can't build bat boxes for opeapea because they're tree roosting bats. So they won't use bat boxes, which was disappointing because I really wanted to build some bat boxes. They're pretty cool too because they can use like you mentioned the different elevational gradients but they're also kind of this really adaptable species because they can utilize both native and non-native forests and so they're not restricted to just one or the other and then they're also usually found at a little bit lower elevation but then they've they've been documented like up at the mountain summits as well. They're also really good at controlling insect species, both native and non-native. So, when you when you mentioned that you can see them in different places, what what places on Hawaii Island where would be where people could see opeapea most commonly? I have seen them up on Mauna Loa Road in Volcanoes National Park. Like if you kind of park on the side of the road going up and just look out, sometimes you can see them flying around out over the forest over mm -hmm. there. And then I, we've saw them up at Kaulana Manu Trail pretty recently too. I think we've met, we've um, at least I know Drew and I have seen in the crater in the Volcanoes National Park. We've seen mm. one flying across. And then one night when we were at Hasisi, um, we randomly seen one kind of just flying over and we're like, is that an opea? So we've seen them at different levels as well. Mm -hmm. in, including in those urban environments, mm -hmm. you know, which is really interesting. I, In my experience in the past, I used to see them a lot when I would come down from through Ka'u um, and South Kona, Konehema in places like Honaunau and Ho'okena. But I'm not sure how, what their status is these days. But back in the day, that's what I used to observe. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. There's not a lot of research and not a lot known about Opeapea. So kind of like Pueo, you know, there's all of these um, anecdotal references. But there's not been many studies done about Opeapea. And in your research, have you come across some of the cultural relationships that Opeapea might have? I wrote a paper in undergrad about Opeapea. Um, I believe that they're Kinolao of Kanaloa. Their name um, refers to the Pea is like the 
the sail or like the half tarot leaf. And so that it's like a reference to um, their shape. What what kind of role did they play in the e- ecology of Hawaii? They're really important insect control, like probably the most important insect control that we have. A single bat, I think, can eat some insane number of, of bugs in a night. Um, so for the Ope'ape'a verse in Okaleleaneauna, we paired them with the Puhala because that's where they roost. And then um, their Kai friend is the Humuhumu Ele'ele, the, the black, um, I'm forgetting their common name, but the Triggerfish. Triggerfish, yeah. Triggerfish, yeah. <laughs> what can members of our listening audience do to ensure that our relationship with these three different manu that you folks have spoken about um, can be maintained and can be healthy and thrive? Like, What can we do? I think the first step, it sounds so ridiculous, but learning about our manu. Um, you know, these are some species, the pueo in the opeopea, you might be able to see them a little bit more often. A lot of people, if you were to talk about alala, they're like, who are you talking about, you know? Um, because they are so endangered and so rare. So just learning about them, knowing their names, knowing the calls, um, yeah, getting interested in who those species are and their stories, I think, is one of the really ways to connect. Um, but then doing other things like you know, keeping your pets indoors will help all of our native species um, because some of our pets are predators that are of different bird species. Um, doing things to help our native forests, you know, planting trees or going out and learning about those spaces. Another thing, a lot of our Manu right now are really impacted by or introduced diseases that are carried by non-native insects, such as mosquitoes. So getting rid of those mosquitoes anywhere you can. Um, this is not going to be a popular thing to hear, but like tell your aunties to stop feeding feral cats. Like we, we need to get rid of the feral cats. They just annihilated a colony of Uwa'u up on the Mauna, um, endangered native birds and the prioritization of cats over our endemic endangered Manu is it just really needs to end. And we, we got to figure out a way to deal with that problem. But yeah, keep keep your cats inside. Cats are fuzzy, furry friends. They're super cute, but they belong indoors. <laughs> Another thing, you can come to our sunset aha on the Akua moons. We, we chant Okaleleaneauna in the hopes of kind of helping people learn these connections and with the intention of using this melee to help bring these birds back into abundance. As we wrap up this episode, do you mind sharing the kani of the different manu? Yeah, so for Pueo, they have um, kind of two main kani. Um, the first is their alarm call, which goes like, um, Their second kani is described, like I said before, as me- meheha vana vana la, like a whisper. And that one goes, All right. And then the alala, they have a lot to say. They say it in a wide variety of ways. So they have over 30 different unique and distinct calls. So their language is very extensive. Their name refers to their loud voice. Um, A couple of the different ones, because you can pretty much scream as an alala. Um, 
But during the mating season, the males will kind of do this kind of call. And the young, like that whiny, overtired toddlers, um, that wail of the child will kind of make this like kind of call. And so, and they get their shoulders moving to up and down, kind of like, mom, I don't want to kind of action. (laughs) Um, And then you can just like the loud call. So like. How beautiful. Mahalo Nui for visiting with us today and um, elevating these wonderful manu, all three of them, the opeapea, the pueo, and the alala. Um, And we hope that our listening audience has learned a lot from you. And we really mahalo you folks for sharing your personal connections and this oli that you folks have been working on. It's amazing. You guys do such amazing work. And we are grateful for your contributions to the well-being of these manu. Mahalo Nui. Mahalo. Mahalo for having us. It's been a pleasure. Mahalo to Rachel and Kalehiana. We learned so much from them today. We sure did. Please check out our blog at hilo.hawaii.edu slash and also follow us on Facebook and Instagram to learn more. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. Until next time, Aloha. Aloha. Aloha.